All right, Jack, how are we doing, mate? Welcome to the show. Good afternoon, all good. Nice to, nice to be on, so thank you very much for asking. Oh, you're welcome, man. It's been uh, it's, it's one of them where it's like starting the podcast and getting it going and looking at which guests we can interview. I've basically mm. just been going down my phone list of who, who do I chat to the most that I can get on for a chat. So your name popped up quite quickly. Oh, sweet. No, thank you very much. You must have a, must have a good phone number. Mine would be pretty boring if I was hosting a podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's actually brought me on to my first question. It's just popped into my head. Who's, who, in your opinion, who's the most famous person in your phone contacts list? Uh, probably Mo. Uh, yeah, probably Mo. Probably Mo. But after that, huge drop off. Mo Adan, yeah? Yeah, yeah, Mo Adan, yeah, Salah. <laughs> <laughs> love that, love that. Well, well, welcome to the show, mate. I'm excited about the chat that we're going to have um, today. Um, I've got a lot of exciting questions. Well, I hope you find them exciting. But I'm going to mm-hmm. start this episode the way that we start most of our episodes, to be honest, when we talk to runners. Talk me through where your journey with sport started. So not necessarily athletics, just sport mm-hmm. as a whole. So I was, yeah, huge football kid growing up. Played, you know, Sunday, 7, 9, 11 aside with just with my mates um really enjoyed that all the way through and kind of that got that kind of like competitive edge going within me um but everyone used to say all the parents all the refs everyone used to play with was just like this kid can just go and go and go all day and you know play center mid so it was just box to box to box um played played a load of sports through school um but football was always the main one and then my, one of my PE teachers reached out and said, look, you obviously have some level of talent to run and, and to keep going. So here's a good group uh, locally. Um, so it was about about a 40 minute drive from from home. Uh, and it was uh, Trevor Raggett. He's actually just retired and, and moved to Spain, but he put in years upon years uh, of such a highly successful group based down in Woking. Mm-hmm. Um, his athletes have actually now just transitioned into, into Mick Woods' Aldershot group. Okay. Um, but yeah, that was kind of like how I got into the sport. Um, yeah, I always wanted to be Steven Gerrard, and very early on realized that that wasn't 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 going to be the play. Um, and then kind of found the sport that I had the most success at at the time, and that was running. I love that, mate. And you, you are a Liverpool fan, right? Yeah, Liverpool fan. No, no geographic ties at all. Just saw the red team and, and stuck by them. Fair enough. Fair well, you obviously merged over to your athletics career, mate, because you've been a part of Oldershot, the Farnham and District, legendary cl- club with so so much history over the years of runners that have come and gone. Uh, mm-hmm. And you mentioned Mick Woods there, who's, who's probably the most known coach at the club. He's coached, he's mm-hmm. coached me, he's coached you, he's coached probably most of our friendship group at one point. But yeah. at what year did you join Oldershot as a running club? So I joined Trevor Raggett's group and he he swapped his kind of like club allegiance like quite a few times between Aldershot and Windsor. Okay. Um, so when I first joined in, oh, it must have been, oh, that's a good question actually, 2007, 8? Wow. Potentially. He was, he was Aldershot. And so he raced for Aldershot for two or three years. Um, and then he said to his group, look, I'm going to transition to being Windsor. Any of you that want to stay as Aldershot runners, you're absolutely free to do so. Um, anybody that wants to come with me to Windsor, again, like, there's not, not going to be any change in our personal relationship or coaching or hours spent. Um, it's just, a, I think it's a better fit for 
the group at the time. Um, Windsor at the time had an incredible um, kind of field and sprints and kind of short distances. They had a little bit of a hole long distance wise. And so he felt that his squad could come in and supplement that club really well. And it, and it worked fantastically for a few years. Like we, we made the national youth final like two, three, four years in a row. And we're always competitive. Um, and then he just kind of felt at times that uh, the club management was, was getting to him. And so we went back to all the shot um, and then he could link more of his senior athletes into the Mick, Mick Woods setup. Yep. Um, yeah. I think there was probably a two, to three-year gap in the middle when I was with Windsor. Um, great track, great club, really enjoyed it. Made some good friends there at the time. Um, but then, yeah, came back to Aldershot um, maybe a year before I went to university. Um, and so I kind of already had that relationship with Mick um, and he kind of aided my kind of spot going into St. Mary's, which which worked out well for me. One sec, Jack. I'm going to have to let this dog out. Sorry, mate. Mate, no worries. We've, uh, we've taught our dog... Box, box, like pit stop, and he runs onto <laughs> and he runs onto his bed. It's unreal. You go box, box, and he like hangs it and lies on his on his bed. Unreal. That is immense. <laughs> this dog we're looking after. Yeah, yeah. You, when he's spend it when it's bedtime, you just say yeah, time for bed, and he, wherever he is in the house, he will just dart outside, go and do a piss, run back yeah. inside into his bed, lay down, and he's waiting for his bedtime Dream. treat, and then he goes to sleep. <laughs> Dream. <laughs> dream absolutely quality but um back onto the running chat mate so yeah i was gonna one of my questions i was gonna ask was yeah the move from afd to windsor and back to afd because i never knew that uh mm -hmm. i didn't know the story you know looking at it from an from an outside i was like oh yeah what's what's happened there because that that's quite unusual to go back so that makes mm -hmm. complete sense that the coaching set up and yeah club politics played a hand there yeah um, in terms of you know the the club system in the UK what's your opinion on the club system because you've been part of it for years now mate you know you've been through the ringer with it what's your, what's your view on the UK's club system it's it's tough because I like the way I'd like it to to work you know years gone past you hear about these great club nights you know with you know like hundreds of seniors all getting down after work you know, 6.30, 7.30 p.m. starts, you know, and, and that kind of team atmosphere, I think, work we've lost a little bit at club level, you know, especially at a club like Aldershot. Like, you know, there are very few seniors. <clears throat> There's probably more than there used to be like a few years ago um, because that it, we've got a bit of a senior group that's kind of grown back. But the problem with, you know, a lot of the elite athletes want to train in the morning, you know, and they want to train at kind of 9.30 a.m., 10 a.m., and it's kind of fallen around university structures because of coaching setups and facilities and, and groups that are going at that time. Um, I think it'd be fantastic to get a club scene back going. Like I've seen how it completely falls off in the US because there's, there's no club scene at all within the US. So it's like you do high school, you do NCA college. And then if you're not good enough, you, you just stop. You give up and you have this like horrible number of people that are like, seriously seriously good athletes but there's just like no support there's no groups there's no training there's no free coaching and they just all drop out of the sport and get jobs so i think it's like immense what we provide here in the uk i just feel there's such a conflict of races that it's so hard to support everything you know we all sit here and we're like i wish we could support cross country better mm -hmm. you know 
we wish we could support, you know, a road running series, <clears throat> a road running series better. And it's like, well, we also want to support club events better. And it's like, well, you, you just, you just, you can't tick every single box. Um, and so it's one of those ones where you almost need like a, someone almost bigger than British athletics to just set a more clearer and like system where there's like times of the year where you can kind of really like dial into something and commit a hundred percent. Yeah, I think that especially in the area that we live around Teddington and uh, in that bubble of athletes, there's so many runners that you'll talk to that want it to be a certain way, but mm-hmm. it's so difficult to be able to, it's fine having an opinion and, and saying, oh, this sucks or this wasn't very good at the mm-hmm. weekend, but yeah, sitting there with ultimately no real understanding on how to change that. Um, and I have no understanding. You know, I haven't been yeah. in those meetings. I haven't been in the the SEAA, the Midlands, the Northerns, and then you've got, you know, England Athletics and Wales Athletics on top, and then you've got British Athletics on top of that. Like, I have no idea how that system works. So I am at times very wary of, like, going in and bashing something because you just, like, assume they have, like, an unlimited checkbook and, like, well, why the hell are they not doing that? And it's like, yeah. you know, what this supports that survives on is, is scary at times. And I think that ultimately your job is a professional runner. Your job is to run. So, like, your concentration and focus has to be on the job at hand. Fair mm-hmm. enough yeah, look, this event might not be the best or it might not be that exciting, but I need to run well before mm-hmm. whether the event is good or not. Um, yeah. That brought that brings me on to my, my next topic of conversation. Just um, just last weekend, you were racing the South of England Road Relays, mm-hmm. an event that's draped in history, especially with your club AFD, but you've probably run it 10 times at least. Mm-hmm. Um we're so used to going there and doing the Southerns and then qualifying for the Nationals at Birmingham and it being a really good club day out, especially as a junior. But mm-hmm. as we've grown up and become seniors now, I feel that once you then leave the junior ranks, you are, I think the spotlight is shone stronger on the event itself. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's look at you as an athlete. You know, you have a PB range from the 1500 meters all the way up to the half. And I'm going to embarrass you now and, re- and reel these out, right? You've got 1,500 metres of 341, you're a 358 miler, 742, 3,000, 1326, 5,000, 2806, 10,000, 47, 20, 10 mile, and 6204 for the half. Now, mm. you're one of our top talents in the UK, an equivalent of like a Harry Kane or a Phil Foden in the football world. What's the desire to still turn out for these types of events like the weekend just gone by when you could just do what many of the elites do that we see and just turn up for the big ones in the calendar. Because I've mm-hmm. seen this in, in, in from you in the last few years, you still turn out for the, for some meets that other elites maybe wouldn't as much. What's the thinking process behind that? I remember being, the main one is I remember being an under 13, under 15, under 17. And, and at that time, Aldershot were very lucky to have Steve Vernon, uh, Steve, Andy Vernon, and uh, and Tomo, you know, racing for Aldershot, and they were very big doing the same thing. That you know, I remember Vernon flying around um, Mansfield doing the cross country relays, and I remember Tomo flying around some of the the road relays as well. And it was it was a bit of like oh, it was like you know, these guys are part of Bowman Track Club, training with the Melbourne Track Club, running thirteen eleven, competing on the world stage. It was just cool to like see them operate and see them warm up and see them race and also see that you know how much time they were putting into you over seven or eight k. Um, yeah. And so I always really enjoyed that. And it was also really cool being a 
you know, a, a first year under 20 and have and passing on to Tomo, you know, at Milton Keynes on, on his leg. So I, I, I really enjoyed that. And also they can be great training benefits, you know, to come down and do most times that I step on the line. Now there's an expectation of like, it has to be near enough damn it a PB yeah. or you have to be competing for the win, you know, unless you go to a Valencia half marathon or the European indoors and you're racing Jakob. Like a lot of the time there is, a huge expectation of what the performance has to be whereas sometimes you just go down and run a leg like that and it's flat out from the start and you you got a heavy load of training in your legs and you actually just it's just good fun you know it's, it's good fun to go down there and put yourself through the ringer and 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 don't have that whole kind of like oh it's a big race day and you know i need to be on it and it's it's a really good training stimulus you know what mate one of the main reasons i wanted to get you on this chat is not you know yeah you're a fast runner you've achieved a lot fine i'm not going to undermine that but there's a lot about your approach which i really respect and we're going to get into that later on in this conversation but i think that there's a lot of people that are going to take a lot of seldom from this conversation about seeing someone of your level still turning up to lower key meets and then saying well it's still a great training stimulus um mm -hmm. i heard someone correct me if this is incorrect but i heard someone tell me on sunday that <laughs> Well, you can tell me how how many miles did you run up to Sunday? So not including Sunday at that point. Uh, I was on ninety eight Saturday morning. So you so you got ninety eight miles in your legs, and you're still yeah. turning up to a road relay to yeah. ultimately follow coach's advice and and get a job mm. done. Where most runners at that event would have tapered down for it to try and run ten fifteen seconds faster, and mm. I think that says a lot about process over outcome. And especially putting a, a more of an emphasis on the, the events that you want to achieve the best result at in your calendar year. Mm -hmm. um, now, you've raced in races across the UK, you know, as a junior through the university years, et cetera. And then you made the jump to go to a university or a college in the States at San Francisco. Yeah. You've also ran at some pretty competitive events while she was out there, like Stanford Invitational, Peyton Jordan. Talk us through your move over there and how that transpired. And what was the was the setup a lot different to what you were used to at say St Mary's University? Yeah, it was. Um, I was going through my my third year at St Mary's, and I was looking for you know I was in a little bit of a, a rut, um, a, a kind of a, a university. You know, sometimes those university groups can be a bit of a fishbowl, and you everything you do is wrong, and you run too fast, you run too slow, you don't run enough, you run too much, you try too hard, you want it, you want it too much. Um, and so I was kind of like looking for like what my next like move was, um, you know, did I want to stay in the area? Cause it's a fantastic area to train. Did I want to go and look to go somewhere else? Um, and so I sent a few emails out to the, uh, to the States and just thought, you know, that's a completely blank canvas. You know, you've never raced these races before. You don't have a, you know, you go to the national cross and you know exactly what your best finishing position is. And she's like, well, I always want to do better than that, but I've never been to an NCA cross. So I've got, there's no blank there's no bottom line of like oh well I have to come better than 12 because like that's my best run before and I should be better now um and I got really lucky because there was three Brits that all me Jacob Allen Scott Halstead that all got offered the same deal to go to San Francisco um and it was a really cool school um there was a lot of Brits there at the time there was a really nice coach uh Benji as well the assistant coach was fantastic um and so it was a bit of a safety blanket with you know a bunch of Brits on the team you weren't going solo, you know, you weren't going to the middle of nowhere, you're going to one of the biggest cities in the world, if you know, especially the States. Um, and so that was kind of my thought process. And I was very lucky to get that because it was a bit of a, a bit of a second chance. Um, 
you know, I trained super hard for my first year two at St. Mary's and then I took my foot off the gas massively. Um, and you know, you ego got far too big, you know, and all of a sudden you're, you're getting smashed by guys that you were putting away. And so I kind of needed that complete reset, go away, new race calendar, racing new people with a coach that is new and has no preconceptions of what I was doing before. Um, and it's awesome out there, like such a cool team environment, but you're also held to account. And I feel like that's something that was missing from the from university setups here is that, you know, they, the, the university and the coaches, they don't really have anything on you. You don't turn up at 9.30 in the morning, then really it's only affecting you. Whereas I remember turning up to the States in the first week or two and I was two or three minutes late for the session on Tuesday morning and the coach literally turned around and said, if, if you're going to turn up late, like we'll send you home. I like, just have we got we have we just have no issue sending you home there's yeah. 30 people that would take your spot if you know and if you if you're not going to respect being here on time and I wasn't saying I was perfect from there on in but I had that in the back of my mind that like you know if I take the piss like they're just gonna you know pay for the next flight home and that'll be it mm. so and no it was awesome like the the support they have out there the finance they have out there you know flying to races all around the US with a head coach an assistant coach a, a director of ops you know, full team kit, you know, physios that are traveling with you, you know, even now entering my races out in Flagstaff, um, doing the sound 5k in LA, you realize quite how expensive some of these meets were, you know, and you look into it and it's, you know, if you're a traveling team and you've got 10 plus athletes, like you're spending six, $700, you know, per event for us to race. Um, and that's without flights and hotels and food and, and all of this stuff. So yeah, it adds up, it? yeah, to be part of that, for two years was was crazy um and it, yeah it kind of really gave me that I didn't quite get the results I wanted in the first year but like the the foundations have been laid you know the the hard honest work was there the consistency was there um and that I was finding really hard to create by myself back in the UK I think that's fair enough I think there'd be a lot of athletes especially at universities around the UK that can probably relate to that Jack mm. um you mentioned there the sound meet that you're doing in LA um uh, in the in the near future, how, how is the racing scene over there compared to what you're used to in the UK? And mm-hmm. I mean, from a being at a meet as a as a spectator, and then obviously as an athlete, what what are the what are the meets like? How different are they? They're they're very different, very different. Like I I remember turning up to my first ever Stanford Invitational, you know, and we've heard about it. We've heard the you know everyone runs super fast and the weather's amazing, and I was like, you know, the crowd must be huge, and you know, I got there and the weather was amazing. Like everyone was running super fast, but you know, there was probably, it was the last few events of the evening and there was probably only 30, 40 people, you know, coaches around the outside. So the, you know, that event is amazing because everyone just turns up. There's no like fuzz around it. There's no like fanfare, but you just turn up and know that you're about to work for 13, 14 minutes for 5k or 27, 28 minutes for 10k. And if you don't do anything stupid, you probably will walk away of a, a very fast time. Um, oh, well, then you go to meet like Brian Clay. And that was, you know, again, you turn up to that meet and it, it was like a, I think it's a D2 or a community college track, you know, and it, it barely looks, you know, 400 meters is about this much space, like around the outside of the track where they like, t- like cram like team tents in. And I don't think I've ever run an allowed a track atmosphere than that one. Um, but I think what they, what they do really well out there is, it's a it's a professional event you know the 
that's that's high stakes you don't get very many opportunities to race out there and the races are fast and they're always fast there's not there's not an excuse you don't really you know if you're going to do a 5k in the uk you're like oh the wind was crap here it rained here the pacing wasn't good enough here yeah whereas like every race they turn up to there's a pacer going three three and a half k in the 5k yeah there's 20 men in the field you know and and the weather is normally perfect so like they do have a, a few things that that fall for them but they're really good fun but they're also very high pressure like i remember standing on the line you know and you're thinking you know if i if i don't break 14 today you know then like it's a failure it's a huge failure and my coach is gonna know it my team's gonna know it like all my mates back in the uk are gonna know it because this is stanford you know yeah. and, if, yeah. and if you're not pbing by 20 seconds then you know what are you doing that's a lot of pressure yeah. to be added onto your shoulders isn't it especially when you've kind of made the jump well, geographically, yeah. but also physically, you know, to mm-hmm. say, right, I'm going to commit to this. I'm going to try and send it. Yeah. Uh, I'm at, I'm at the, I'm at the meet where everyone races really well. Uh, the weather's yeah. perfect. The race is stacked. Yeah. I've just got to go and do it. But I can feel that pressure in your voice, just talking about, you know, the impact of what my mates are going to think back, back home. Yeah. Um, but I mean, look, look, at the end of the day, mate, we, we reeled off your PBs. They're very impressive from top to bottom, but one thing that you do have is a very good range at the moment, Jack. And yeah. it's hard for me to answer this. I can't, I can't answer this, but where do you feel your talents lie? Like what, which event do you think is best for you right now? Yeah, I actually thought about this the other day and I think, <laughs> I think, I think my best race right now, if it was an event would be like a five mile or like an 8k. It's a shame, Jack, because that, that's yeah. not in the that's not in the major yeah. program. <laughs> not very useful for me at the moment. Um, but yeah, like I think I'm sticking to the 5K for the next year or two, and I want to try and get myself onto a world team um, because I've got that. I'm never going to be a 1500 meter runner at the world level. Just not quick enough. Not good enough. More than happy to admit that. So the 5K is where I truly believe like that's like stretching my limit at the world level. And so I want to tick that before I start moving up, up through the distances. Um, I think, yeah, cause I, this, the speed work that a 5k requires, I'm doing enough of it now, added some more into my training in the past kind of two, three months. Um, <clears throat> but I also don't think I do the mental prep that is required for a 10k on the track. I think you really have to have kind of gone through the ringer on some really specific sessions to, to nail a 10k on the track you know, you have to be ready to go and run, you know, 25 laps has to feel short. Mm, yeah. You know, so you, you know, you have to have gone and done, you know, 10, 10 lap reps, 15 lap reps, you know, do two by 15, you know, and you have to stand on the track today going in spikes at high gate going, I'm actually quite looking forward to this because it's only 25 laps compared to going like, Oh Christ, like I'm going to get to 18 and I've still got like, you know, seven to go. Like that's always the mindset I've had. Whereas yeah. You know, I've spoken to, you know, someone like Emil, you know, I've spoken to him and he goes like, oh, mate, 25 laps of Highgate, like dream, you know, I've spent <laughs> hours, and hours on the track doing, you know, doing sessions. Um, and then the road, the road's the road, it's, it's kind of hit and miss. So uh, the half, I think I'm, I'm, could be pretty solid at right now, but I want to run quicker than I'm probably able to. So I think that's always going to be a bit of a mismatch for the time. Like I'd, I'd love to go out there and say, I, I want to run 60, 60, 30, but I'm probably not quite strong enough to do that. So like finding that kind of pace judgment over a half is probably tough for me at the moment. Well, I, I suppose as you, as you stick at the 5k for the next year or so, 
that mm. you're going to get the answers in the next year or so, aren't you? Yeah. And that's going to then dictate your moves as you step mm. up in distance. If that happens, you know, yeah. generally we're so used to seeing athletes stepping up in distance as they go and go and go, but who's to say that you don't just keep getting quicker at the 5k, you know, Ben mm-hmm. Trump ran, a, ran a 5k PB at 35 years old. So there's no yeah. reason why that, uh, that couldn't happen for you. So I'm excited to see that, that, uh, that out. yeah, for sure. So your career has really accelerated in the last few years. You signed professionally with Puma. We'll get onto that, that in a second, but to this point, you've been successful in the track. You've had some success over the roads. You've also had a lot of success on the cross country as well. You've run for Great Britain on the cross country as well. But what's your highlight moment of your career to this point? Probably, probably my run at the European Indoors two years ago when I came. I came ninth. Um, it was like coming out of COVID. You know, I'd done all my training completely solo, had left the NCAA um, because of COVID and mm-hmm. had flown home, went straight into lockdown and just like me and my coach, Tim Eglin, just put our heads down and went, we're going to train as hard as we possibly can without getting injured. Uh, and when the races come, we'll be ready. Um, and so we just like ground it out for like eight, nine months. And like, you know, there was a few red line days where I'm like, ah, Tim, like, yeah, my hip doesn't feel that good. Uh, you know, like my IT band, right really doesn't feel that good um but we got it done and then you know i had one chance to hit the qualifying time and had to front run it at the brigham indoor 3000 um won the trial with you know and with a really strong field um and then made the final uh and then it was a really really stacked final and, and ninth wasn't quite as high as i wanted to be up there but to kind of go through that process first time you know first major champs make the final compete in the final um i think that was that was probably a highlight for me i remember there was a year jack i can't remember which one specifically maybe 2019 or 2020 um that at the end of the year everyone puts their strava stats on their instagram story and i yeah. remember you put yours on yours on your ig story and you averaged something above 80 miles a week for the year i can't remember the exact numbers yeah. and the stat for me that that sort of opened my eyes was that across a year you had you had it was either seven or 12 days off in total I, c- I can't remember yeah. the exact amount but the first thing that I did I messaged Josh Grace straight away and I said to him if he doesn't get injured I guarantee he will fly next season yeah. and I don't want to take credit for the year that <laughs> but you did skyrocket and yeah. as I said earlier in this chat I've always been a fan of um the way that you approach your training and your running. And we hear all the time about consistency is key. Consistency is key. Yeah. For those that are maybe a little bit less aware of your approach, talk us through how you ultimately see the process of getting better at running. Yeah, it is. Unfortunately, like it is like every day, you know, kind of day by day stacking another week on top of another week. And I think the main thing, and I, I, kind of waved away from this last summer a little bit and that's quite why I didn't get the results I wanted was most days only need to be B plus mm. you know you need you need very few you're only going to get four or five A plus days a year and so if you're trying to stick them on race days if you're having an A plus day in training then you're probably not doing it right um, and so I think trying to get as many of those kind of B plus days as possible um, is, is really key um, and I think me and my coach Tim like really agree on, and we've had made some changes recently. Um, 
about how to how to achieve that and how to do that um and it's just stacking hundreds of miles within that kind of like tempo to threshold region um and then adding the speed work on the top uh and then making sure that the long run's nice and good each week um and yeah like you know that's that about you know over 80 miles a week like back in my St Mary's days I'd do an 80 mile week and then someone would ask me like oh Jack like how many miles do you run a week and I'd be like oh 80 but if you actually if you actually looked at like my seven week average it was probably 45 (laughs) yeah 45 but like in your head you're like well I'm an 80 mile a week guy and it's like the numbers are going to say something else and so I think being able to to hold that for a year has been has been huge and I think now it's the it's the point like all right, can you, can you keep going? You know, I didn't really have the year I wanted to last year. And it's like, why? You know, and you, you kind of nitpick things away. And I'm like, all right, I think I know what I did wrong last year. This is what I'm going to change for next year. And hopefully there's some positives. And if not, we change the wrong things or we need to completely rip up the playbook and, and go again. So it'll be interesting to see, interesting to have a chat like September, October time uh, and see if these, these small tweaks have, have paid off or not. And you mentioned your coach there, Tim Eglin from from Aldershot. Um, yeah. When you when you sit down with Tim at any point in the year, how how far in a two sort of two questions to this? How far is Tim thinking ahead as a yeah. coach, and how far is he letting you in on his mm-hmm. plans? If you've got that info for us. Yeah, yeah. So every time we have a big goal, so the next one is sound and order gym five thousand. So I'm racing them in five weeks and nine weeks. So I know, I know the outline of every session between now and order gym. Yeah. Um, so he was like, you know, this will be a five K specific session. This will be long double. This will be tempo run. This will be long run. This will be split long run. Um, he fills in the gaps for like the kind of like easy running days and the easy session days kind of on a weekly basis. Um, but the two or three like really key sessions between now and then I already know. So he's sent that out on email. So the really important days kind of six to eight weeks out, um, the kind of like day to day, seven mile tempo on a Thursday, that will be weekly. So, yeah. okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. And I suppose that gives you a good, uh, good level of understanding of what you've got to go and do uh, mm-hmm. every single day and every single week gearing up for those key sessions for those key races. Exactly. And it, you know, and it, it keeps like, not that he ever has to be a, accountable to me, but it also, it keeps me accountable to him of going that session we have in five weeks time. It's 10 days before sound. Why have you done this? And why have you done that? And then, and then he can go because A, B, C, and he's like, all right, I'm like, fair enough. And so I'm assuming that's why that ties into that session six days before that. And like, it kind of like, I can ask him questions about why he set things that way. But it also means that if I know I've got a really big session on Saturday and it's Tuesday, then I don't need to not be an idiot and probably make that a C plus session. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah totally. Um, so it gives me that ability to 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 really plan a, a four six week block, which which is huge because you know that is you can go you can seriously improve in four to six weeks, but you can also make the same you know negative adjustment if you, if you get it wrong. Gia, we signed pro professional athlete contract with Puma at a time when you were on the up, running fast, making a name for yourself on not just the domestic national scene, but at major championships as well. Um, 
money talks in this sport. You know, there's not a lot of it going around for pro runners. Just yesterday, mm-hmm. I was talking to Tin Man's Joey Berriatua, who actually said he raced you when you was at yeah. he was at college. Um, yeah. We were rivals. Yeah, he said that, and uh, he said that he's a pro athlete. Yeah, he's skint. So, mm-hmm. talk me through that time in your life. How you came to the decision that Puma was the right move for you in your athletics career? Um, yeah, it, it was great. My my agent Malcolm Anderson did like a fantastic job, um, and I was out in Kenya, and he started putting kind of um, feelers out to to brands if if anyone would be interested. And um, there was a few interested, and and honestly, I didn't really, I didn't put a huge amount of thought to to Puma um, initially, um, and they. I got a message on Instagram from uh, one of the guys that currently works for the athletics department. He's actually moved over to football now. Um, so I actually, I actually had no communication with him at all once I actually signed the deal. But he, he, sent me, he sent me a message on Instagram saying, hey, what's your situation? It would be great to speak to you. Uh, we're looking to expand into, like, into the kind of UK athletics scene. Um, would you be down to, to try a few pair of shoes? And I was like, oh, of course. Like, you know, no, that would be fantastic. And uh, anyway, they turned up and... I, I, honestly, I didn't put too much thought to trying them on. I was like, I'll try them on. I had a track, had a, uh, had a treadmill session one morning, and I put on the easy running, steady uh, velocity two trainer, and uh, jogged down from Twickenham to St Mary's. And I was like, oh, yeah, fair play. These are these are these are decent actually. Uh, I actually really enjoyed these. I was always an, uh, a Pegasus man before, and so they were the 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 most similar that I tried um, um, from Asics and on. And uh, I was, and I was like, fair enough. And I put on the Deviate Elite on the treadmill, and I just, it just felt natural. Like the Nike ones that I used to race in beforehand, like they feel like spaceships. They don't feel like running shoes, but you accept it because you look down at your watch and you're like, oh well, I'm going ten seconds quicker than I thought I would be. <laughs> Whereas these ones actually felt like running shoes, kind of within like the era just before. They felt fast. They felt nimble. They felt agile but they were also quick. Um, and yeah, it, one thing kind of rolled to another, ended up speaking to Dario, who's the, the EU lead, um, really got on well with him. And those, those calls are so awkward because you're sitting there and you're having, you know, you're trying to like sell yourself, but you're also trying to get them to sell to you as, as well. It's, it's, it's kind of a weird, a weird mix, but I got on really well with him. He was really straight up. He told me how it was going to be. Um, whereas again, lots of those conversations sometimes like you ask a question and they like, dance around it a little bit and they give you half the answer whereas like the conversation we had was just like abc and he went bam abc and i was like okay cool like i feel like um that would be a good partnership to get into and yeah it all it all came together which was fantastic i actually signed in flagstaff last year um so when you sign one of these documents like you have to sign like obviously your name date and where you were and I was like, do I do I put Flagstaff down? Because like technically I'm I'm in Flagstaff. Um so it'd be quite cool to go back out there this year um as a fully sponsored uh Puma athlete. Um so obviously they couldn't get any gear out to me out there. Yeah. Uh, so I had to race in the spikes that I had and um and the a vest that I had. So it'd be cool this year to go out and kind of like fully fly the flag, which will be which will be good. And how has becoming a professional changed your life? Yeah, it was always a childhood dream. Like, you know, I, you know, that was one of the things, you know, growing up, going through St. Mary's, going through the NCA was I always, 
idolized and wanted to be the kid with a contract um and, I, and it took me a lot long not a lot longer than i thought it would um but there was a lot of people that you know were in my training groups and social groups that had one and, and i was all i was always jealous as as hell do you know what i mean you know i was like that's that's what i want um and it took a long time took a long time to get there um which was very cool and it was also very cool to do it for such a huge brand um you know everyone's everyone's heard of puma um and they and they make some really cool stuff um there's been a an added level of pressure that i didn't foresee you know before that i'd always ever done it because i love doing it and i love competing for the win i don't particularly like competing i don't like if i you know i like being able to outdo what i've done in the past um but there has been an added level of pressure that i didn't kind of see coming um you know because every race that i step on now there's a and ex- I've always had an expectation of myself, but there's also an, uh, an external expectation. And I never, I never kind of saw that coming. I wish someone had sat me down when I did this and went like, all right, like, this is fantastic. This is everything you ever wanted. But like, there's going to be a few hurdles coming up that you're not going to see coming um, until you're on that track or you're in that um, social media setting or something like that. So it's, 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 it's been really cool and I wouldn't change it for the world. Like, you know, I met up with a few of my home school friends the other day and they were just like, I wanted to ask them about their jobs and like how they were doing in the city. And they were just like, mate, shut up. Like you run a good Puma. Like that's so cool. Um, and I did you, sometimes you have to like, remember yourself that, that it is just a sport at the end of the day. Like if, if I run a free 55, 1500 meter and have a stinker down at Watford, like at the end of the day, the world goes on, like no one really cares, you know? So. Fair, fair statement. Um, the uh, the saying of uh, your passion is questioned when you start getting paid for it. Yeah. What are your thoughts on that? It it, it changes things. It changes. It does change things because, and the mistakes I made last year were, I chased my contract. Like there's, okay. it, it's a really good, um, financial contract, and I, I'm super lucky to have it. Um, but there are elements where I did races that I wouldn't normally do because of the, because of the finance behind some of the the bonuses on certain distances. Um, and amazing if it comes off, like you look like a wizard, you know, and you've made some, made some money, but also if they don't come off, you look like a, an idiot. Um, and no one, and only, you know, that, you know, because yeah. only you can see the black and white of, of it, but nothing's changed for me. Like I, I love, I, I've said before, like, I hate, hate losing anything. Like, you know, if I lose a race that I think I can win, obviously, you know, I'm not going to be fuming losing to Jakob in an indoor 3000 because, you know, he's one of the best of all time, but I hate not getting the best out of myself and extracting the best out of myself on a given day. Um, so nothing's changed on that, but the, yeah, there's definitely been a learning curve on not chasing a, a contract. Like Valencia half marathon was a prime example. Like I have a really good half marathon bonus. Yeah. But I was uh, on holiday in Sardinia five weeks before and took 10 days completely off running, which I needed to do. I had a long season, um, long outdoor season, finished that big half. And I tried to turn around a half marathon build up from zero in five weeks. And it was like, that was a really stupid thing to do because you weren't going to be ready. Half marathon, Valencia is too fast. You know, you get sucked into a pace that you know you can't hold um and then what you then done is you then cut your block from oh you had a four-week block and then you had a race that you shouldn't have done 
and you've now got another race you want to do in five weeks time but instead of having a nine week block and a great training stint you've had four ish weeks a crappy race that's just dented your ego and your confidence and then yep. another four weeks and you're actually not ready for the race that you wanted to do in 10 weeks time so learn those mistakes and uh, and trying to avoid them in the future just just from the conversations that i've been having on these episodes with some pro runners of different brands and different distances but also from my understanding of just watching athletics it seems like the first year of being a pro is arguably the hardest because yeah. i think that there's a, a justified acknowledgement towards having pro experience so mm. you learning from that experience of chasing the contract you've you're going to learn from those decisions that you made and then tailor your decisions into the future and that's going to ultimately help you become a better professional athlete mm -hmm. um and i think that with everything else that comes into being a pro the uh, expectations the responsibilities the accountability you have to a brand and other people um and ultimately uh goals and aspirations in your contract it's not as simple as just turning up and doing your best and enjoying it. It yeah. is from a it is from a from a personal perspective, but ultimately there are other extrinsic pressures <laughs> that you have to deal with. So I feel that you know, on the grand scheme of things, like you talking about that Valencia half marathon, and ultimately you're 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 communicating to me and saying, look, I've learned from it already. That's yeah. going to help you grow into the future, don't you think? A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah, like you know, if but. Yeah, when you go when you go through that, no one's telling you that's the mistake. You know, your coach can go like, "Oh, you're probably not ready off off five weeks," and I'm like, "Mate, that's a challenge." Like, you, you tell me I'm not ready off five weeks, like I'll be ready. Yeah, and it's but you know, and, and your agents going like, "Oh, maybe maybe you should stick around and and do the Great South like the week before," and that was like a viable opportunity. You know, not as a higher peak. You don't need to travel. You don't need um, the level of race is is going to be completely different. And you're like, "No, no, no!" Like, throw me in the deep end. Like, you know, I'm good enough now. And it's yeah, like, I can mate, sometimes, it. sometimes you just need to like, have your ego dented and be brought down a few, few poles. So, um, but now nah, that definitely was, but yeah, like it's, it's then not making the same thing again. Cause it's, it's so easy. It's so easy to do, you know, even um, having to really toss up whether to do Manchester 10 K or Highgate, you know, two fantastic races, two fantastic opportunities, two of the best races that are in the UK but they're a week before Ordegum. And, I, and I've said to my coach six, eight weeks ago that that was the plan. And that's where I want to go and run the super fast 5,000 again. And it's like, like the doubts like start like creeping in, like, ah, oh, you could do Highgate week before. Like, it's fine. Like super shoes, your legs will be fine. Like, and it's like, no, stick to the plan, stick to the process. Like, you know, this is what you feel 12 weeks ago was the best way forward. Nothing should have changed. We've said it on the podcast now, mate. So you know, yeah right, you in the right in the deep end yeah it, <laughs> so he said that you're heading out to flagstaff uh i know you're heading out there in the, in the coming days no doubt not for a holiday but uh to you know get into prep for the summer season and these races that you've got coming up um and obviously hopefully budapest but what is your setup going to look like out there for anyone that's listening that doesn't really understand what a camp in flagstaff looks or sounds like mm-hmm so this year is actually really good. I'm heading out with two British 5K guys. Um, so we're, you know, we're both aiming, all three of us, so it's me, uh, Johnny Davies, uh, based up in Birmingham, and then Henry McClucky, based uh, down uh, with me in St. Mary's, different coaches, but all three coaches have been fantastic. And we've all come together and we've all set up a plan, like in a process um, for the final three weeks of the camp so that we can all 
kind of stick to it and we know what we're doing on on certain days because again that was the thing i learned last year was flagstaff is an absolute hive of pro athletes during march april may because it's such a good place to be it's altitude the weather's okay and then you, there's good flight opportunities and good race opportunities and so last year i went and i just like cherry picked like oh that session with the melbourne track club that looks unreal i'll do that on a tuesday and like oh you know Hass's under armor group are flying at the moment i'm going to throw myself in and do a friday session with them and then all of a sudden you look back at your program and you've done five 5k workouts in out of 12 <laughs> sessions you yeah. know what i mean and, and you're fried um and so the group i've gone with this year it's 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 like all right we're all in the same process we're all racing the same distance we're all going for the same goal um so if you know we'll all come together there'll be compromise on all three you know i some say they might prefer to do a session on a friday and it's like all right this week we'll do tuesday friday next week we'll do tuesday thursday saturday um but that's all been set it's all been agreed upon now um and when we go out there we'll all stick to it so yeah we're gonna go up there um it's a great place to run there's trails everywhere um as i said a bit of a hub this time of the year um and yeah it would just be kind of ticking into those again like at altitude b plus sessions are even more important right because you can you know there's a yeah you just want the cake you don't need the cherry very often um so it's just just keep putting in those solid days solid sessions um and then we're all going to yeah los angeles to race the sound 5k on may 6th you want the cake and you don't need the cherry that often. That yeah. is something I'm going to get tattooed on my forehead. <laughs> so no, I'm definitely not getting that tattooed on my forehead. <laughs> that's, that's a, so I've never heard that, but it makes complete sense. And again, I think that's going to help a lot of runners that are listening. Um, and I'm buzzing. Yeah, I'm buzzing to see you in this sound, sound 5K. So away from the track, away from running. Yeah. Do you have any other passions that are in your life and why are they important to you? um not hugely i i like being able to just switch off and like whatever that is i think it's key to be able to not be thinking about athletics you know 24 hours a day um and so i would just i quite like to like slip into other people's kind of schedule you know someone will oh, jack randomly playing golf on like saturday afternoon do you want to come join i'll be like yeah brilliant i'm absolutely terrible at golf um won't hit won't hit a single fairway but like it'll be good fun and like it's something that i can just i'll step you know i won't think for athletics for a minute for those you know entire afternoon and i i, I enjoy doing that and I, I think that's key um i, I work i work part-time but kind of on my own um i like doing that so again it gives me something to do it gives me a structure um i feel like yeah i wouldn't i'm not great at one of these guys of like okay it's a monday i've got a nine mile run to do and it's like all right well i'm up at 9 a.m and i'm gonna go to bed at 10 11 so it's like well i've got 50 minutes to do this run all day and then that's it so i feel like it's quite good to to give myself some structure um and yeah that that's it really I'm living in putney now which is a great spot within london there's always stuff going on and i've got quite a good um friend network around it which is quite nice so we can always dip in and out excellent love that jack so our final section of this episode is going to be a quick fire round. So I'm going to mm -hmm. fire five questions at you. Don't yeah. overthink them and don't fill your answers. Just give me it raw. So if you had a magic wand, what's one thing you change in athletics? Uh, the ability to earn money um, should be spread wider across the sport. Okay. Just give me some bit more context on that answer. Um, 
I think there should be, I, I wish there was greater prize money to be earned from a wider array of races. Okay. Uh, I, wish, I wish there was uh, funding for, you know, not high level amounts of funding, but small amounts of funding for, I don't know, the top 10 athletes within on para 10 within each discipline each year okay um you know there's this this sport is just nuts you just you earn nothing 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 and then you take like one box and fall over the line and all of a sudden you get paid and it's like well so many people can't afford to get there that, yeah. that seems wrong great answer jack love that what's the best thing about being a professional athlete uh doing what i love and getting paid for it every day that that was the weird thing that came across my head last year was one day I got signed and then I did absolutely nothing different and I got paid. And and that, that was just quite a cool like realization to happen. So nice. yeah, that was nice. And what's the worst thing about being a professional athlete? Uh, on, honestly, there isn't, I hate complaining. Like I, I, I hate, I hate complaining. The social media posts, social media posts. Okay. okay yeah, fair enough. The obligations to be an influencer. Yeah. I've got <laughs> you. I've got you. Definitely. What's uh, what's a harsh truth the running world needs to hear? I think everyone says, oh, the sports move forward. You know, the um, super shoes are where it's at and it's stupid fast tracks and it's short tracks and it's Morton and it's all this. I think there's been a real realization recently that actually there is a goal and standard of training for 5K, 10K, 5K specifically, 10K and half marathon. Um, and it's really boring. It's really mundane. It's training zones and it's threshold and it's tempo. It's whatever you want to hear it. Um, but unfortunately, I think there's been a realization that all the best athletes in the world are all utilizing that. And I think the UK is a little bit behind in implementing that type of training. Um, and I think if there was a better understanding and knowledge of that across the sport, I think we'd have a huge jump in 5k and 10k performance you know something similar to what the 1500 and 800 events are looking at right now mm -hmm. and finally jack to end on this one what's one thing that you'd like to have achieved in your life in 10 years time um i, I definitely I, when i first joined tim three years ago i set him three targets uh i wanted to go to an olympics i wanted to be the british champion over 5k and 10k and I, back then I wanted to run under 28 minutes and 13.20. So that probably needs to be advised to 27.30 and 13.10. So, uh, yeah, those are my, my three goals. I love that. Jack, so, thanks so much for your time, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat to you. And uh, safe flight to Flagstaff, mate. And best of luck in the, in, in the upcoming season. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you very much. So, um, yeah, looking forward to hearing it. Catch you soon, mate. See ya.